Morning, Jerry. I've got a sore throat this morning, so I'm sounding very husky. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> Merry Christmas. Oh, I know. If we've calculated this correctly, this app will be a Christmas special. Woohoo. We are so professional. <laughs> How are you going with the overwhelm? I'm just, well, you mean this thing? Um, I don't want to claim this loudly or um, proudly, but. My Secret City has won the award for the longest lockdown in the bloody world. <laughs> Woohoo! It's a global title. We're all mm. exhausted. We're all just really over it. We're just bored and yes, um, yeah. there's a lot of unrest around the place. Everyone's very irritated with each other and that sort of thing. Mm. And what else? I think we're all just looking forward to Christmas because last year um, everybody went to visit family, of course, as you do. You know, need to remind yourself of why you don't live with family anymore and why it's a good idea to become independent. Yes. <laughs> and then at Christmas, New Year's Eve, um, our great leader of this secret state um, issued a uh, directive when everyone had to bolt for the border or be locked out of the state. So you had to get Nan and the toddlers and all the skateboards and the boogie boards in the car and off, off to the border. Of course, you know, it was a lovely, calm procession across the border. There wasn't any lines or I'm being sarcastic again. Anyway, so we were in our state of origin, Jerry. Can't get away from it at Christmas. So we had to put the car on a truck and fly home. <laughs> we drove because we like, to, we like to drive up, you know, to the old homestead, drive up. I... I don't know where to go with all of this. I guess um, what will really help you um, is that Christmas overwhelm, the tsunami of materialism and sometimes food. That's just going to set us all up well. So I've got a bit of, because it's our Christmas episode, Jerry. I thought we could have a bit of a, bit of a reflection on the, on the story so far, how, where we've gone. And I wanted to bring a little bit of attention and focus, if we could, to introduce a wee bit more mindfulness into the into the sessions. I know it's not your favourite thing, but I wanted to just gently cast the microscope mm-hmm. over the what sort of what goes on between you and myself, because we've got a few new listeners. Welcome aboard. We're not breaking the fourth wall, but welcome aboard. And there are some folks who are very, very interested in the polarity and the dichotomy between the counselling college and the clinical college in psychology, you know. And I think if we consider these as roles rather than autonomous definitive categories, and this might be hard for you because it might be a bit of a reality challenge for you, I don't know. But, I mean, you've spoken at great length about, you know, being a clinical psychologist being a big part of your personal identity. And I think the line between the personal and the professional for psychologists is... Well, it's hard to articulate. It's hard to be mm, confident mm. where that line is. And I thought if we could explore it using our relationship as a, con- a kind of container for that or not, if there's an edge, that's also useful. It doesn't matter what we discover. It's still helpful. <laughs> so if there's an edge there, that's informative to, to um, people wondering about this dilemma, like what is mm, the difference? Mm. What, how does it play out? They, they and, are symbolic roles because I should I say... In full disclosure, I'm not a member of the clinical college of the APS. And the reason for that, paradoxically, is I 
I don't feel that the APS stands oh. up enough for clinical <laughs> psychologists. So I am actually part of an organisation which is um, the Australian Clinical Psychology Association um, because... So, yeah, yeah, and I and I, I know it's going to be challenging for us to stick do what we can to stick to the symbolic... Um, representation of these like what are what are because I want to cover some of the themes that have cropped up in the in the secondary process going on between us so our mm. primary process is where we're two uh awesome like <laughs> terrific psychologists um having a dialogue one of us is a clinical psych one of us is a counseling psych that's our primary process maybe we're both women you know, probably identifying with a female mm, gender, mm. we're of a particular age where shapewear is appreciated and we need bathrooms close by. That sort mm. of thing. That's our mm. primary process. Like, like all um, middle aged um, yes, white yes. women, we have For example, the exquisite privilege of being able to whinge about the generation below us and yep, the generation yes. above us. So this team would be our primary process. And in the psychodynamic world, this is the me and everything else is not me. To but make progress in, in psychotherapy, you want to gently bring attention to where those two, the, the me and the not me meet and just sort of, you know, have a bit of a wander around there and see what we think. And I can feel myself getting a little bit excited or nervous. So what interested me about this dialogue with you was what Jung called numinosity. There was something inspiring for me about mm. this. And, I, and I, I'm a bit carnivorous. I'll be honest with you, Jerry. There was very strong self-interest in it for me as much as a as like an intense, powerful curiosity. And in the trade, this intense, powerful curiosity can be called the desire of the therapist. Now, without the desire of the therapist, you, it's very hard to get good outcomes for the client because you become an other for your client. And if you look at them through a judgmental or a critical eye, even if you don't intend it, they'll pick it up and it can, mm. it can that, that mm. gaze can come across as predatory or, you know, carnivorous or uh, persecutory. It's very, you know, it's a very subtle thing. Now, this falls into the category of what we would call in the trade a secondary mm. process, you know, there's stuff going on in the background in the realm of the not me. Now, you could call that the unconscious if you want, but there's also all the stuff you don't know. <laughs> there's lots of that. Like mm. my chair, the chair sitting next to me could be a, a not me, I think of it as not me. But it, if from a certain point of view, maybe the chair is a me. Righto. <laughs> you know, like it depends if I was psychotic, say, for example, or something like the, that. The, the chair, the chair is, looks quite, the chair is yellow. The chair looks yeah, quite yeah. extroverted yeah. yet also yeah. knows when to yeah. fade into the background. There you go. Secondary dreaming process. Um, wants attention. Look at me. That's perhaps, there you go. Good catch, Sherry. Well done. Um, righto. We don't, that was the basics. Of, uh, uh, there's a few themes that have rocked up in our, so I do a bit of the editing and a bit of the back end for our little podcast. And we've got a theme of a predator that wanders around a lot. We've got, we've got the metaphor of, you know, unconsciously and with a joke comparing psychology to prostitution. And there, this, these metaphors link the primary and the secondary process. And I, it's very, hard to get into the secondary process without a relationship of trust with the person you're working with 
and a feeling of safety. And I think in our little podcast, I'm not sure we've been able to create enough safety and, and because that theme pops up all the time in, in, our, in our conversations. So I just wanted to round that up and plop that, flop that mm, out and, mm. and see where that took our conversation. I can see that you're very thoughtful demeanour there, Jerry. so I'm mm. encouraged by that. That's great feedback. So what do you what do you make of that? That we you know what do you make of that? Always thoughtful. I think the predatory other. Um, I sorry, this is a very concrete sure analysis of that. But I, Four Corners has done a special on Sony Music, right? And yeah, right. Um, it was an incredibly toxic workplace, according oh. to and. It's thought that this continued for many years and is mainly down to the actions of one person. At least this was the thesis as put forward by by Four Corners. Um, Mm -hmm. Now, I know absolutely nothing about the music industry. Squat. (laughs) So. Right. (laughs) But what I gather from this is I think that there are predatory people or people who become seduced by money and power Mm. or people who are unsafe, under pressure and Mm -hmm. cannot be threatened in any way, so have to defend themselves and their work and their state Mm. of being, Mm -hmm. Uh, that these dimensions of humanity Mm. exist everywhere in every profession um i guess i would argue from my experience and this is where the um mm-hmm. sex worker metaphor comes yeah in, i would argue from my experience that small business p- particularly mm. um can enable that to flourish um i think you've put forward in various ways that the university the tertiary education yeah. sector allows that to flourish as well. The pressure, uh, the big egos and Mm. always, always feeling unsafe. There's always something at stake. There's always going to be a new policy or a new round of redundancies or new cuts. Uh, So I think under certain conditions, Mm. uh, you know, and thank goodness we don't have a recession because I can access our ages and leverage the good part of our middle-ageness, which is that we remember the recession of the early 90s. Oh, yes. Um, That was bad. People people were just terrible to each other. That's Um, true. I worked in PR, which is hard. Did you, Jerry? It's hard to believe. It's not that. Actually, it's not Um, that much of a shock when I really think about it, you know. Like I I think some of us can see that. Yes. Um, bit, bit of ab fab going on with you, sure. Uh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, it was horrible and it was horrible during yeah, that no, recession bet. time. Um, and no, okay. And so what, I think so, under yeah, certain awesome. conditions, I think that the contingencies, this is very behavioural, but if the yeah. contingencies are there, people will act in competitive and horrible ways. Well, oh God, my now this is annoying to me. My little sorry, it was really hard felt. I'm sorry sorry if it was annoying. No, I know you're not annoying my bloody voice. Sorry, 
bloody iPads just decided to need the battery. Just hold on, Jerry. Just we're having some brief little. Okay, like, I'll it's tell like a camping. story. Just yeah, you Shall talk, I tell so a just, story? Oh, because it's going to go pear shaped otherwise. Shall <laughs> I tell a story about yeah, an tell interaction story. I won yeah. with a competitor, or does oh, that good. just place me as well? The no, do you know what? I'm loving. Just go for it. You, the idea with psychotherapy is just steer for authenticity, and then we make sense of it. Our, we make sense of it on the on the fly. So we want to well, go for it. And then okay, we'll I ran out. into someone who was pretty much an enemy. Um, oh, good. And, no, this is awesome. I love a moment yeah, when you hit an enemy. I just I just walked past them right. and they were wearing a kind of flowing sort of kimono jacket thing. Oh, it good. was very <laughs> middle-aged woman visiting an art gallery. You know, that comfortable, that's a comfortable look, that look. You know? uh, I think <laughs> she earrings? wasn't wearing it ironically. Oh, and okay. because of that, I feel like I won that interaction. Um, I, I feel like surfwear. I yeah. feel like flannel yeah. shirts. Maybe oh, yeah, even the right. puffy vest or the hipster glasses. You're so you funny. Can, yeah. You can wear ironically. But the not, flowy, not the, not the, the flowy kimono, the no. Anyway, no. so right. I feel like I won that interaction um, mm. merely because I wasn't wearing a flowing kimono jacket. Um, sometimes I okay. feel like I win interactions if I have my bicycle with me. So I'm going to um, pounce, Jerry. I want to pounce now. So I, pounce. I, I ran yeah. into somebody yeah. at the right. train station um, yeah. and I had my bicycle. So I felt like I won that interaction as well. You felt a sense of competitiveness and, okay, now see, when you, the, the competitiveness is the me version of the predator that lurks and the not me. And it's not. There you go. The predator's in all of us, isn't it? That's or put, right. Or put another way, we can view this view through so many lenses. But let's not um, stop there because what excites me about psychology is not to recap the content is not to list endlessly the models that describe the phenomenon. What interests me is the transformation. And without that, I don't actually have the energy to keep going is the truth. Like I'm only interested in transforming things. Mm. Everything mm. else bores me. Mm. I'm interested in different ways to understand things and through that or following. Oh, dear. I've got the battery on. Are different yeah. ways to help people. Uh, so, so if I we drill just, that down, be, mm. if we drill that down to we've got like we've, there's a me and a not me in what we're talking about here. I just want to just start, get the lead pencil out, the charcoal out and start sketching it a little bit, right? So I think, and I'm, I'm going to symbolically link this to clinical psychology from my observations of you and that part of your identity. I perceive my observation to you, my gaze of the other to you, this is what I see. I think you want to steer, the, yeah. you want to steer closely to that which you can retain in your conscious focal primary point of attention. And therefore, you want to stay strictly within the bounds of your primary process. That's my hypothesis to to you as a symbolic representation of clinical psychology mm. now if there's tr if this has got legs it will have a couple of problems it will cause a couple of problems for you because of course well according to psychodynamic theory and perhaps 
anyone who doesn't understand everything about life and the world and everything, there are things we don't know, right? And they mm. keep smacking you on the head like you'll have a little crisis or mm-hmm. find yourself watching, you know, doing engaging in some addictive behaviour maybe or something that you're not sure why you're doing it, you know, and, and how do we handle that? Because the old Jung mm. and the old the old Freud mm. who have, have a lot of deep wisdom, when you really look at their techniques and use them, and I've used them for a long time, they're bloody powerful. So there's there's value that comes from putting these two positions in, in dialogue with each other. Mm. Mm. And I just wondered if we, I'm just trying to gently sculpt the positions, and I suppose if I take the other side of that dialogue, it would be more sitting, trying to sit in, observe, be with, do a bit of something like mindfulness, more experiential knowledge or experience, you know, not description of just the the feeling of it. Like what, what are we feeling? Because I've noticed, Jerry, and I had to bring this up with you, my, my motivation and excitement to see you has been flagging in the last it's couple It's hard of- to believe. No, well, it's probably not you. It's probably the role you're occupying in in the in my perception of what we're up to, and I'm finding that the the focal point and only on the primary process is not. It's losing life force and numinosity for me, and I'm a bit sad about that. But I do need to own it and own up to it because if I don't, I'll just keep pushing on and I'll get nowhere. You know, I need, we need to, I want to pursue like a predator, the numinosity. It's a sort of spark, a life force, something that's pulling me forward. And it's, it seems to be fading, Jerry. I'm a bit sad about that, but I have to bring it up with you because otherwise it'll become a big secondary process and smack me on the head. Mm, mm. So I'm just having a bit of trouble. I don't know if the pot's going off the boil or the fire's going out or I'm not good enough, which could very well be the case. I'm happy to own that. <laughs> I might not be up to the challenge, you know, which is which would be very upsetting on me and maybe others. Anyway, there's some thoughts, some just some pre-associated stream of consciousness sort of thoughts about the situation. And even though it's not categorized and structured, there's something real about what I, the way I just described my experience to you in the moment. Yes. Yes. So what what are your thoughts on that, Jerry? Like what, think- what comes up? Uh, I think there are many, many ways to grow. There's many ways to know what you don't know. Uh, Mm. I don't think any of them are easy. Um, Mm. All of them are hard and Mm. the more methodical the learning is probably the better. Well, there's a number. There's a number of reasons why I think mm, that. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. I have to. I have to give a story. Um, okay, let's have a story. Yep, stories the, the, are good. It, like it's you like this story. It's a. It's a really nice story. Mm. Um, I was in the car with my family. This is some years ago, and my son was in kindy. Oh. And, yeah, yeah, cute parental stuff coming up, warning, trigger warning, (laughs) if that stuff makes you (laughs) revolted and sick and bored. (laughs) Skip ahead. (laughs) Um, And 
just incidental to um, his kindiness by a quirk of geography and SES, Mm -hmm. in his kindy class, uh, there were two mothers studying psychology. Oh, yes. Um, There was a forensic psych. Oh, yeah. And there were two clinical psychs. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, awesome. Yeah. I, I don't know if it was awesome. I no, learned, it, it wasn't awesome. Okay. This I is, learned I, how yeah. to enter the school, pick up my child, right. and exit the school without actually ever seeing or running into anyone. Um, sure. Which is okay. Perhaps uh, uh, a window of empathy into people with social anxiety. I always, <laughs> oh, ask, <laughs> I always ask a sufferer of social anxiety, do you have? certain paths that you take so that you don't run into anyone and they always say yes yes I do no that is absolutely a big character trait of someone we call that don't we call that Jerry in the trade we call that a bit of avoidance and it can become a big problem we do call that a bit of avoidance but sometimes we all avoid and it's because you just don't have the capacity Anyway, we were in okay, the park yeah, yeah, and we true. were travelling and yeah. we went past the Captain Cook Hotel. Did you? And oh. I think it says something about our country that the fact that we went past the Captain Cook Hotel does not identify the city <laughs> and does not even identify oh. <laughs> the suburb within the city. That's so, true. Actually, that's very white so, supremacist of us. <laughs> yes. So the little guy pipes up and says they never named buildings after Aboriginal people. Oh, Uh, And I was blown away and impressed. The Charles Perkins Centre, I guess, is the exception that proves the rule. Uh, So, yes, um, and he's right. And later we were doing uh, a short bushwalk and... Mm. He said, let's pause here and think about the Aboriginal people. Oh, I love He was picking up on the dream time because he was a little kid. Uh, At one level, that's certainly what I hope. On the other level, he may just wanted a break and some snacks. (laughs) But Well, he's a little kid. That could all be true at the same time. That that could all be true. (laughs) There's, there's There's many realities. And the reason why he knew this stuff, I can take absolutely no credit for this, is his kindy teacher was a Yawara woman and they are the traditional owners of the land around Broome, that kind of area. And Mm. she also grew up in the Gold Coast. And oh, oh, wow. but there was enough Queensland there for me as to well. Connect we had some to, story, yeah. story, I mean, storylines there. I mean, maybe. Gold Coast people have a certain sense of um fashion and personal grooming, um, they don't have resort wear, that's just their entire cupboard. Yes. Um, so. <laughs> that's true, that's don't even anyway, laugh about they're that. Yeah. So she was um really, really teaching to the kindy class. Indigenous issues really well, as as I think was oh, illustrated by my son, because oh, wow. he also said to me once um, he gave the teacher's name and said her her squad are Yawara, her language is Yawara, her place is Yawara. 
Um, I love that. Wow, and I think he so was getting true. squad mixed up with mob. <laughs> okay. Um, oh, well. The idea was days. there. The yeah. idea was there. And I, I feel a bit disappointed in myself because I haven't built on this. Um, but you can see that someone who learned these things in this way uh, is going, I hope, uh, is going to be open to constructs like the stolen generation, uh, you know, oh, institutional racism, personal racism. Yeah. And I guess, I guess this is my point that, mm. that sometimes we need to learn things methodically. And when we learn things methodically, when that is delivered to us in both an authentic and, and sometimes that doesn't happen, right? But when it's delivered in an authentic and methodical way, uh, the learning and the true understanding is oh, oh dear, we've frozen. Better. Uh, that is just that is just a story that illustrates. Okay, just hit the pause button. One of the ways I think. Hit the, hit the pause button. So there's when we grab structure. That's a primary process move, right, which means if we just move ourselves into the observer consciousness, I'm just noticing what you're doing when you say that, Jerry. Mm. Whenever we go for absolutist uh, extremist positions, there's usually a something going on in the secondary process that's about fear. And mm. usually there's like a feeling of threat in the room that we're not articulating, but that sits behind the desire for structure. And when that becomes a culture, mm. it's, a it's a problem because it marginalises other perspectives. Um, and, of course, human beings are massively diverse, especially in Australia. So, yes, we need structure. We do need form, but not at the expense of people's lives or, or valuing them as human beings or valuing their experiences or their ways of speaking and telling mm. stories. Mm. And, and mm. clinical psychology is a story and it can, and I'm inviting self-reflection about this, it can become close to an extremist political movement if you're not careful because it, it focuses exclusively on the frontal, on the conscious mind. It doesn't deal with the things that are hard to articulate. It doesn't validate that easily because it's very, and it has its place. I'm not saying it doesn't have its place. I just think how do we allow for that strong structure which is needed in many situations and at the same time make room for the other to have mm. a dialogue mm. that's the challenge isn't it that is the um, challenge. i would yeah. also say uh, and i put forward uh strongly that yeah. uh all professions and when i say all professions i of course i mean all domains of psychology yeah, have their difficulties uh, with their identity, and yeah, that's, we, I think we've discovered that. Are we? Probably, are probably uh, exacerbated um, mm. by institutional contingencies and parameters, and even demographic forces. I've got up somewhere. Oh yeah. Um, I've got up Psychology Board of Australia registered oh, yeah. data. Okay. And it talks about 
talks about here we are. Um, it talks about the percentage and the number uh, of different kinds of um, registered psychs in Australia. Yeah. Well, what are um, the numbers showing at the minute? Uh, I've got to find it in a hurry. Okay. No, no, don't um, panic. Just um, I'll because do I was some also feeling. Because what prompted me to look mm. into this, believe it or not, um, was um, actually gender issues. I was trying to establish yeah. quickly how what was the percentage in gender in psychology in general. Um, okay. Just while you're working that out, let's mm. talk a bit more about um, that conflict that individuals can have, communities can have over a primary process that, that is what we are allowed to say, what feels okay and safe to say, the me part of the conversation, the conflict with the, the other side, the not me. If this conflict is not addressed consciously, it will be acted out unconsciously on it stops being symbolic and it will be played out as a real phenomenon. So, you know, we, we, we all have the tendency to have an in-group and out-group identity as a way of trying mm. to feel safe, mm. as a way of dealing with safety threats. And if we don't become self-aware and conscious about this, and I believe as a psychologist, we have to become the leaders of doing this because who else is equipped to do it in our communities? I can't think of anybody who's got enough training yeah, and and even the intellectual ability to try and do this—it's very hard to do. Maybe I mean, psychotherapists are probably perhaps even better trained. Who knows? They 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 probably more more practiced at this. But I think we could experiment with the idea of becoming self-aware about the violent tendencies within ourselves, and 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 really trying to make friends with and own and integrate that predatory force. You can't ever get rid of the predator because we're all basic, part of us is an animal. Mm. You can't ever get rid of the, the tendency towards competitiveness, which in its darker form can be violent and malevolent. But we mm. can become self-aware about it and, and progressively integrate this part of ourselves. So we don't have to act it out on our colleagues or clients do, even. Do or, you have some examples of that process within yeah. yourself? Because I think, well, I, well, I think I we've do covered, give a lot of personal yeah. examples um, and I think yeah. it's... I've told a lot of stories on our podcast about the way this plays out between within the profession about being targeted by clinical psychologists and mm, but you you as yeah, you as like the me. predator yeah. you as the hostile one oh me as the hostile one something that's like easy to digest mm, mm. okay so I think when you're trying to okay there's a way to do this unconsciously like you know schoolyard mm. situation just try and defend yourself or or ganging up on somebody or something like that but hopefully we we kind of grow into that but i think when it's time for you to write a past wrong or something like that or challenge a client you need to be able to shape shift into that predator and pounce mm. for it to be effective and then shape shift out of it and mm. turn back into a compassionate kindly practitioner it's not very specific but I suppose, like, we, we have spoken briefly about what happened to my thesis. I won't name any of the protagonists, but basically my supervisor withheld my, didn't return my thesis, and I originally got what would have been a first-class honours, but through various stages of um, 
I don't know how to explain this quickly, but she sort of wanted to hang on to my thesis and didn't return it. And there's a big question mark about plagiarising ideas out of that thesis, but all this happened 25 years ago. So because that was covered up, even at the time when I was very young, Mm. I needed to become a predator to stalk that situation and figure out how to proceed through it, how Mm. to... Mm. Get it, and it's got to the point where it's now sitting with the registrar. Who knows what will happen next? But I may need to revisit that, become the pred. And you have to get into the energy of being a ruthless attack dog, mm. but you can't be mm. mindless, or it won't, it won't you, work. You have, you have to be very strong. It's good that you've given that example because I give many examples, and it may, it may yeah. well be that examples well, you- come up. A bit more because I work in a large institution, so often these are kind of live issues. Well, because uh, this incident happened in my early life, it had a long-term effect on my ability to join organisations, Jerry. Mm. So, so these kinds of injustices, it's not like you recover from them. They actually change the course of your life. Mm. And it puts you in a not-me category within the community like there's mm. a there's a high high status or a, a functional or acceptable part of the community where opportunities come, people are healthy generally. Yeah, there's problems still, but they're not as bad as on the fringes or outside that that perimeter of light where you can't see yes. what's going on. And that was where my life got catapulted, and I had to, from that position, try and work my way back to something that I. So basically, everything I wanted to achieve as a individual was completely blocked because of what this woman did to me with my mm. thesis. Mm. And it's, it's it, I do have some evidence of what ha- occurred. I was able to compile a, a evidentiary timeline and some corrupt, which helps a bit, but it's not like there's a court you can go and present this evidence to. It's a lot more complicated than that. You need an advocate and you need allies. Mm-hmm. And because I was placed in this position I became a source of in because obviously I you know had particular abilities or a bit of a spark who knows what some people found me interesting for one reason or the other but I didn't get to make my way in the world based on that because of what she did to me so a situation like that requires a predator Mm. to become Mm. um because predators are incredibly instinctive and they are hungry as hell you know, and they 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 mm. sort of can't stop sniffing food. <laughs> that's that's kind of the vibe of a, a predator, and you need that kind of energy to hunt down a person who's done that to you, and mm. try do mm. what you can to. But yes, the reality, or even or even to protect yourself. That's true, but um, on the outside, there are mentally ill psychologists, unfortunately, and I tended to face off with them fairly regularly because of the position I was in in the in the community you might say because of what this woman did to me when I was a young person so the the that's there's lots of opportunities to there's lots of predatory examples in my journey from the outside to the inside um and I find it very offensive and the other the other thing that I discovered along the way was the role my indigenous ancestry plays in my life and just how marginalized that worldview is from our white communities in Australia so there's many storylines trying to find a place on the platform 
And the mindset or the worldview or the framework that clinical psychology wants to operate from doesn't make any room for those things. And I found it becomes a force of, well, in my life, a force of darkness, Jerry. And I, I know that's perhaps not everybody's story. And I, you know, through dialogue with yourself, I can see how you know you're you're. We've categorised you in lots of different ways, but you know, you've got that tendency towards being a J, let's say. So the framework works very well for you. It sits very comfortably in your worldview, but it doesn't in mine. It's a it's a source of oppression and injustice and violence. The force the force of darkness is not in any one particular profession. No. The force of darkness flourishes under certain conditions. And well, it's easy to say that when you're not on the fringes. If you're on the fringes, it's everywhere. Mm. And sometimes, and sometimes, you know, you you just get sick of it. You get sick of <laughs> um, the microaggressions. You get yeah, sick okay. of having to defend. And I don't, I don't know what the solution is here. Like that, if people can be nice to each other. Well, I think um, the solution's inner work. Uh, you have to look for that. You have to be willing to look inside and go, what. Where is that predatory tendency within me and how do I relate to it? When does it come? And I can't, you can't force a person to do inner work, but what I've discovered with, and I've worked therapeutically with a number of clinical psychologists over the years as well, they seem to have a tendency towards, in my humble, small view, a tendency towards perfectionist thinking and a, and a strong unwillingness to look inside, to look at themselves. Mm. And I, I don't know why that's so scary. Mm. Because they want it, they want their clients to do that. They what? What is the problem? Why is that hard? Do we think? I I don't know. I, isn't it hard for everyone? Not if you're a client. Not if you're suffering. Mm. And this is where the predatory gaze of the other can be perpetrated by the clinical psychologist themselves without or knowing the counseling it. Counseling psychologist. Well, let's just focus on the clinical psychologist because counseling psychs are more protective from this because they're more willing to sit in diversity. They're not so strong on this is the only way to do it. If you say this is the only way to do everything, if your framework is that strong, you immediately generate a very powerful other. And there's an unwillingness to go, well, where is that diversity within me? Because if you can make a relationship with diversity within yourself as a practitioner, you don't have to yes. use your clients yes. to yeah. do the inner work yeah. for you. Yeah. And uh, I, one of the ways uh, that I think is really helpful to increase diversity within your mind, I mean, I guess that's what we're really talking about or um, increased diversities is different facets, different viewpoints, different learnings. Um, and, yeah, that's true, but I would like to see clinical psychology's psychology per be more willing to look at the person of the practitioner, mm. to focus on developing self-reflective practice and developing the self like separate mm. from being a clinical psychologist, have an identity that, yes, I practice clinical psychology, but I am also a diverse, flawed being and, that, and I can declare that openly. I'm able to articulate that. I'm able to be in a relationship with that. I don't have to be perfect. Mm. Mm. 
Um, yes. and, and in order to embrace that, there has to be a willingness to sit with, understand, unpack what is that awful feeling of uncertainty, that mm. awful feeling of not being safe. And this is where we come right back to the theme of the predator lurking around. It shows up in our little podcasts. And I think there's a bit of a, it casts a shadow towards the metaphor of prostitution as well, because the theme of prostitution, I don't think about this quite deeply. Like, why, why is this coming up a lot? It's because there's a, I think it's, there's a, a, an exploitation feeling that goes on. And I think if you internalize that and take it away from the counseling room, go, I'm actually exploiting myself to do this work without getting anything out of it, my, getting anything out of it. Mm. I keep giving, I give, I might be repeating a childhood story. Well, yeah. it's interesting, yeah. I just think that, see, this is the sort of conversation that I was keen to have and I, I can't speak for all the listeners. I don't know. They're all diverse bunch. They've got their own reasons for listening. Um, but I think the counselling psychs I've spoken to about this project want to support the profession to develop, want to support individuals in the profession to develop their personhood, their sense of self, and ultimately improve their ability to, to offer something, some sort of help to the nation. Because mm, mm. without self-reflection and the ability to go, where am I an, a white colonial supremacist? Mm. Where am I an Indigenous person? Where am I a predator? Where am I a healer? Where am I a child? Mm. Where am I a mother? Where am I a bad mother? We've got to find all these roles inside us. Mm. and learn how we relate to that part of the potential of being human before you can sit in a room with a client who's got this kind of complexity mm. and they won't feel judged. Mm. And then the best bit of all, you get to heal as the practitioner. Your your practice can become a journey of putting you together. Mm. And I just think everyone can potentially benefit from that. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Not easy. Not easy yes. work, Jerry. Demanding. Yes. you got to be... At times vulnerable, at times brutal, ruthless, mm. weird, weird mix. But if you can integrate these things, go slow, fine, you know, that was my dream for the podcast. But I'm, I feel like we're just coming to the end of our little time today and I have a bit of news and also a cliffhanger, Jerry. <laughs> she, she says in the spirit Jeez. of transparency. Yeah, we're going to have a cliffhanger over the Christmas break. Well, the, and here's what it here's what it's going to be. The cliffhanger is: I want more numinosity in our in our interactions. That's what I want. That's my request, not demand, because that's ridiculous. That's even if I tried to pull off a demand. So I want to hold us on the fire of transformation because I actually need that to receive the energy to keep doing the work because of my health mm, issues, whatever. Mm. I just don't have the energy to go into endless anal analyzing clinical psychology models because I do find that quite boring at my stage of practice. I want to go into the deep end. That's where I get a feeling of excitement and inspiration from. And that's just me. I, You know, if you can't meet me in that, then that is the truth of it and I need to accept it. But that's what I would like. That's my request to you. And and the cliffhanger is I'm going to have to wait for Christmas to figure out if we make it to season two. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh what season two will look like. Yes, um, uh, because the other, just a quick other note. So you and I have spoken a lot about what we wanted to do for the podcast. And I know you've got 
different ideas and that is perfectly legitimate and understandable and you feel inspired perhaps by a different format so what may happen as a result of our cliffhanger is we might you know jerry might find herself on her own channel Mm. which which is another way this could resolve so we've got to just so i guess if we just stick to the authentic truth of it it should show us the way whatever it is I've got to be willing it, to accept it. It it possibly will, yes. Um, because okay, yes, yes. <laughs> I have a lot more stories, that's for oh, sure. Good. Yeah, for sure. So on the, that was my cliffhanger, Be- beautifully sculpted, I think, just had just lunged into <laughs> Doesn't have to be perfect. That's okay. That's all right. So what? So did you want to make any little comments about that now, Jerry, or do you want to take um, the Christmas no, I, period? I I will just reference a favourite uh, thinker of our time. Oh yeah. Um, who is Christian Lander? He is the author of various books. Mm-hmm. Um, oh dear. Yep. There's also a blog and for you to stuffwhitepeoplelike.com. The crazy white people. Yeah. Yeah. It's a satirical look at, you know, hipsters, left-leaning North Americans. And he says one of the easiest ways, sorry, so stuff white people like, there's there's a massive list. Um, You'll be interested to know, I, I should read you the top five of the list hmm yep all right okay um there's coffee there's religion so number one is coffee that's stuff white people like yeah Um, number two religions their parents don't belong to number three film festivals number four assists (laughs) Uh, i think it's a basketball thing not sure (laughs) number five farmers markets number six organic food number seven diversity number eight barack obama uh number nine (laughs) feeling (laughs) <laughs> making you feel bad about not going outside. Oh, yeah. And number 10, Wes Anderson movies. Oh, right. Um, okay. However, <laughs> right now, might I refer you to number 134, the TED conference? Oh, uh, yeah. One of the easiest ways to create something that white people like is to create something that will allow them to feel smart. It doesn't require a large amount of work time. Oh, bless. Um, so, oh, bless. Here's the so TED funny. talk. Oh, um, yeah. Unfortunately, being able to create something that makes you feel smarter without having to do a lot of work has been very difficult. So only a few ideas yeah. have ever gained traction with white people, the most notable of which being documentary films and public radio. However, <laughs> in the past decade, a new item has been added to this very short list, TED Talks. Um, so, so the funny. essence of that yes, is yes, Jerry. we can learn things uh, without it being very difficult if we're white people. <laughs> if, if we're we, white, yes. If we perhaps. know the secret oh, yes. of that. Um, well, I've, I've got both sides of that conversation in my identity, yes, so I get it. Yes, yes. But a really, really I think the underlying message here uh, uh, under the jokes is really you can't. 
Um, yeah. You can't learn anything without it being a little bit hard, which is what you just said in I said yeah, in a different okay. way. Oh, yeah, that's a good, um, good, good, good tie up there, Jerry. Good summary. Yeah. Very deep. Good work. Good. I love it. Yes. Yes. <laughs> good. Good. Good tie in and a popular culture recommendation. So you don't get much Aww. better than that before Christmas. So happy Christmas, everyone who have is, is eavesdropping. And I, I found a fun Christmas message on the bloody description. So hopefully you can get a laugh out of that. And, mm. and, we'll, and we'll see if we make it to season two next year. See we if we will. do. Stay tuned. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.